This week's episode is brought to you by Dell Technologies. Dell Technologies is committed to helping students develop the knowledge, skills, and attributes they need to succeed in an increasingly digital world and global society. As a top provider of technology and services for schools, Dell listens to and works with students, educators, parents, and community members to deliver innovative technology and services that give them the power to do more in and out of the classroom. Learn more about Dell in education at www.delltechnologies.com slash k12. That's www.delltechnologies.com slash k12. Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm a reporter and the managing editor here at EdSurge. Who gets to learn about computer science in school? While a growing number of schools offer computer science classes and after-school programs, those offerings are still far more common in well-resourced districts than those that primarily serve underprivileged students. And more boys take them than girls. It's an issue that two researchers at UCLA, Jane Margolis and Jean Rue, have been digging into in their scholarly work. It's a phenomenon they call preparatory privilege meaning some are just offered that preparation more than others. And they say it's part of why the tech industry has struggled with a lack of diversity in its ranks. The two scholars, they typically publish their work in journals or books for academics and policymakers, including two well-known books by Jane Margolis, one stuck in the shallow end, Education, Race, and Computing, and another called Unlocking the Clubhouse, Women in Computing. But they recently got an unusual invitation. Would they be up for writing a book for kids about inequality in computer science? Basically, one written for the very students who are getting such unequal offering in their schools. What do you think? You know, should we do this? That's Jane Margolis. And Jane immediately said, yes, let's go for it. And then she said, and let's make it a graphic novel. And I know Jean very, very well, and I knew she read graphic novels, but I didn't know how much she read graphic novels. Graphic novels, of course, they are more often associated with superhero stories. Think Batman or The Watchmen. They're essentially meaty comic books, right? But it turns out Rue is a fan of that genre, and she was more than ready to answer the call to become a young adult author. And they base their story on actual students they met through their research on inequity in computer science. The graphic novel, it hit the shelves in April, and already a few schools are adopting it, including the L.A. School District, which is buying the title for its teachers. I recently connected with Margolis and Rue to talk about their research-based story and how they hope the work will inspire more students to raise questions about the offerings or lack thereof, in their own schools. I started by asking Jean Rue, what is it about a graphic novel that she thought would share this message with kids? Yeah, I think it's a really inspirational medium for sharing ideas and emotion. And there's, so for multiple reasons, right? right? Um, so first of all, um, having been in, English teacher and also working with educators, you know, there, there are some students who 
feel intimidated by heavy texts or um, might be reluctant to read articles or books. But when they're given the ideas in graphic novel form, they're suddenly drawn in. They read a ton of them and um, get really engaged. And so that was one thing that um, I think is so wonderful about graphic novels. Another thing is that because there's this visual element as well as storytelling through the words, through the dialogue, I feel like um, it's such a beautiful way to share sort of like the emotional context, the cultural context, the um, and and to also be playful with the ways that these ideas are communicated. We've also been thinking about how a graphic novel like this could also support a culture shift in the ways that people are thinking about how to teach computer science. And so having this sort of visual format that um, is also like dialogue-based. Um, a culture shift from uh, from what? How would you summarize where it is that this would be shifting it to? Yeah, well, one major challenge right now is that there's a tendency for the field of computer science, and this is true, I think, generally of STEM fields, to say it is not our responsibility how people use the technology we create. We're just the creators of it. And it's not our responsibility to think about the ethics or the social impacts of this. It's we have a goal of a specific program we're trying to create, an app, whatever that might be. And so this um, false notion that computer science is an apolitical and neutral field. And so there's a ton of research pointing to how that's not actually true, right? That the incredible work of uh, Joy Bulam Winnie, um, the research of Sophia Noble, Tanit Gabru, Kathy O'Neill. I mean, there's a ton of incredible scholars out there who have been showing how human bias gets built into the technology. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm yeah, I think I want to bring Jane in again and say, you know what, I, I've, I love how research-based this graphic novel is. So we'll come back to the story in a minute. But Jane, what is the, it seems like both of you have done the pieces that this kind of adds to, like you said, of where this comes from, what it's grounded in. But let's go back to what's the main, what are some of the main research takeaways that, that you're, you're communicating, that you've done in your academic work, but now you're putting into a graphic novel form? What are some big points that, that this is grounded on? Well, um, several. One is um, the importance of pedagogy in computer science education, and, and where he talks specifically about culturally relevant pedagogy, that the education needs to be linked to the outside world. And actually in computer science and technology, technology is playing such a critical point, you know, at all of these world events that are affecting students' lives. And so just as Jean had said that there's been this you know, uh, traditional notion of computer science just being zeros and ones and objective. And and what we're trying to say is that all of this learning, students walk into that classroom and they they are more engaged and, and see themselves learning this if it's connected to issues that they really care about. 
and that are help happening in their lives. So we wanted the novel to really make that point that to center students and their lives and their experiences as they walk into computer science classrooms and what are the things in their head that they want their teachers to be talking about to make it really engaging and relevant. And actually, we're working with a team of computer science um, teachers association equity fellows, five teachers who are making resources um, a teacher's guide for the book. And um, we were on a panel the other day talking with them. And one of the teachers said that they saw power on as a vehicle for students to push on their teachers, for students to basically say, these are the issues that are really important to us. And so the other thing about the research, your question about how did this research foundation affect the book? Um, in Stuck in the Shallow End, there's a whole analysis about how the inequity in computer science, the fact that um, less classes exists in high in schools with high numbers of kids of color, and when they do exist, they're mostly the most basic rudimentary skills like typing, and the fact that counselors often track kids um, you know, into vocational tracks. And then when they want to be in computer science, and this is mostly kids of color that, and girls that we found for our research, the whole system is, um, very segregated and, um, privileging the more white, the students in the white wealthy areas and not in the students in the under-resourced areas and students of color. And so we wanted to bring up those inequities that are caused by the system, the larger educational system, and how that affects who is learning computer science. And we wanted to also, past research showed these biases these biases that our whole society has about who does computer science and the images of this, uh, you know, these white men, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates, you know, the super smart students, quote unquote, smart. Um, but our research showed that often it was the students with what we called preparatory privilege that had the resources at home, the uh, ability to go to a computer summer camp. Um, you know, the parents at home that sort of prepared the kids at home and gave them the resources. And then they walk into school and teachers, the adults, and actually the students themselves feel that you can just tell the students who have the innate talent, who are born to do it. But it actually came from this whole segregated system of, of race, inequality. Of access to the learning. Yeah. Access to the learning. So that systemic, those systemic issues, those belief system issues um, was kind of like the foundation, one, one of the foundations. And then it was what students were telling us about what made their education in computer science more meaningful is connecting to these larger issues that they're concerned about and care about. Um, that we kind of got into this short hundred page, Gene got in to this 
short 100-page novel. I just wanted to add to that too, um, beautifully said, Jane. And I think that um, really trying to get rid of that black box that was hiding sort of like what is going on in our schools, what is going on in tech, um, I think demystifying that was super important because when we think about um, how do we shift the ways people um, perceive who is good at computer science, but we have to show what are these institutional structures and what does preparatory privilege look like that's shaping, you know, who we see excelling with the field and, and leading the field, right? And so um, we thought it was really important to, to make that very explicit for young readers so they can also begin to realize, like, you know, just because I don't necessarily look like Steve Jobs, I can still do amazing things with technology you know it's it's not about I'm not I'm not born less able um and I don't have to pretend not to be interested or be told that I shouldn't be interested right so there's a little bit of that element too so we we also made sure to include in the book um descriptions of computer scientists who represent more of the diversity of our world um folks who are from black and brown communities, who are immigrants to um, the US, this is a very US centered story, um, but um, folks in the LGBTQ plus community, folks with disabilities, you know, all of these incredible um, creative computer scientists and people who work in technology out there that oftentimes we don't get a chance to learn about and learn from. So we thought it was also important to share their stories. After the break, we look at the true stories that form the basis of this graphic novel. Stay with us. This week's episode is brought to you by Dell Technologies. As part of their commitment to transforming lives, Dell Technologies has partnered with ISTE to develop resources to advance digital literacy skills. Head to getdigitalskills.org to begin your digital literacy journey. Educators can dive deeper by completing a free online digital literacy in the classroom course. Dell can help you prepare your students to enter the world of work with the digital literacy they need to succeed. Visit getdigitalskills.org to get started today. Now back to the episode. And, and there's also um, actually events that happen in the, in the book that are completely based on the research that we did. So, for instance, one of the main characters, Christine, the four friends decide um, after an incident happens with um, racist facial recognition systems in their neighborhood, they decide that they want to understand more about these systems and how they get made and what are algorithms, and what is computer science anyway. And they decide that they're all, they're in middle school now, and all four of them are going to be going to high school. So they band together and decide they're all going to take computer science at, at their high schools, but they, they're going to different high schools. And then one of the girls, Christine, wants to take a computer science class when she's at high school. Um, and she wasn't assigned to it. So she goes to her counselor and her counselor says, you know, sort of looks at her and says, um, well, you're in the hospitality and tourism track. 
um, I, you know, you don't really need computer science. And she felt that this was because she was a girl and she don't, don't you need it if you're in hospitality and tourism? Doesn't everyone need computer science nowadays? And felt that she was really being prevented from taking this course. That incident is completely based on something that happened to a girl that we interviewed in the LA in an LA public school um, around in uh, about wanting to get into computer science. And so there are, um, and the fact that the four kids go into different kinds of computer science classes, one of them just typing and basic skills, and the other one, um, Antonio is so excited because his teacher is like contextualizing it and even says, God, my teacher talks about race. We really are talking about ideas, you know, so it's showing the different kind of nature of education around this one subject that also is totally based on our research. Um, yeah, just to add to that, the uh, the case of Antonio, you know, his teacher is a phenomenal computer science teacher who um, really gets students excited and is making these connections to the computer science learning and what's going on in the real world. And that's based on one of our partner teachers who um, I've collaborated very closely with since the 2018-19 school year. And um, there's a field trip that the youth go on to a game design company where they have an opportunity to see like how amazing these tech companies can be and sort of the access to, you know, great food and great resources that, you know, people who work in the tech industry can have um, at places like game design companies. Um, but that also these spaces are very segregated, very, um, you know, don't necessarily reflect the diversity of our, our country or in our world. And that, was an actual event that um, an, a real field trip <laughs> that we all went on together. Um, so yeah, so really trying to to share these stories, but also um, paying homage to the real work and the good work that educators like our partner teacher and others are doing to try to make computer science more meaningful. That's great, and I, I'm. I think it's okay, although we could say spoiler alert, but I would love to hear the rest of the story. So where does it go once these students band together, they go to a computer science class, just, you know, some of them overcoming obstacles. And then what, what happens next? Yeah, well, they, well, they have different experiences, right? Kind of like Jane was pointing to um, Taylor, um, she's enrolled in a computer science class, but it's not really computer science. And she's a teacher who doesn't really connect with her and keeps mistaking her for another black student in the class. And it's just, there's a real disconnect between um, what's being taught, the relationships between teacher and student and all of that, which is something that I think many of us have experienced in our lifetimes. Um, hopefully not often, but it happens. Um, and then another student, um, John, is enrolled in a computer science class, but it's incredibly boring. And he's, you know, learning how to make websites, but it's kind of like, okay, then what? He doesn't, he doesn't, he's, just, he's not feeling excited or engaged and doesn't see how he could use computer science for his own personal interests in um, fashion and in makeup art. And um, Christine, as Jane said, 
didn't get to enroll in the computer science class, but luckily her English teacher um, tells her about an after-school program that's being taught by a parent. And so she ends up getting exposed to all of these great experiences in an out-of-school context, which again is something that has been happening a lot, which um, is really wonderful. Um, and then Antonio has a really amazing computer science teacher. Um, but what he realizes is that that's the only computer science class in his entire school. And once he's done with it, he has no other options and there's no pathway. And so as the youth begin to realize, the four friends realize like, oh my gosh, you know, we're all having such different experiences. Not all of us are getting to learn computer science in school. These things are problematic. And so they decide to come together inspired by actually the after-school teacher who says, you know, everybody should be learning computer science and look at the amazing things that youth are able to do. They say, hey, we need to tell the school board, we need to do something in our school district to let them know that we want computer science and we see its importance in our lives. Um, and so with the support of their community of teachers, of students, of, of parents, they begin to collect data and information about who has access to computer science in their school district, which schools, um, and they interview parents, they interview uh, students and create a whole presentation um, that they give to the school board. But you don't get to see the presentation. Spoiler alert, <laughs> you just to see them walking into the, into the, um, school district offices. I think uh, the yes. thing that Jean, the, the story, I, I think you can tell is very much about student agency also. That's another one of our really strong beliefs that students need to have voice in their education um, and they need to have agency to be critical thinkers and to look at technology and anything they're studying in a critical way. And um and then have agency to do something about it. And so that's kind of the big, a, a big message of the book also. And I think that the way they got really motivated is that this horrible, horrible incident happened in their neighborhood that I was talking about earlier. And they started investigating, you know, can, can systems be racist? Can, you know, can robots be racist? You know, how does that work? And then they started investigating the statistics of, well, who who studies computer science and who's in the tech industry? And then they see this big racial divide and big gender divide, and they start investigating that. And why is that? And, and look at now we have, you know, systems that are racist. And, and so that's kind of what motivates them to say, we have to study computer science. And then they have this experience where it's not the computer science that they wanted to really investigate, you know, about how these systems get made and, and how they go so awry. And so that sort of gets them into collecting all this data about where's computer science in our district, in our classes, in our school, and why aren't we in, involved, people like us involved? And so it really is through their inquiring minds, you know, that um, they decide to take agency 
and do something about it. And um, then it kind of leaves the question to the readers, you know, like, what in your education do you think should be changed? And is there a way to change it and do it? And what about this technology that's changing all of our lives? Who is doing it? And why is that? So I think it introduces um, the whole question about why underrepresentation really matters. Wow. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing to me is, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, I think it seems like in one way you're encouraging the reader to see themselves as part of the potential activism around these issues. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and for teachers to support that activism and, and know why that's important. Yeah. Go ahead, Jean. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking about one of the key things that we're learning with the student voice research is, you know, really questioning adult stereotypes about teenagers, these assumptions that because they like to make TikTok videos of themselves, that they're just navel gazers who aren't really engaging with the real world in um, meaningful ways. But actually some of those TikTok videos are pretty impressive in the ways that they engage in the real world. And also remind us that youth are very much aware of the challenging political times we're in, the problems that we have with climate change, the incredible racial violence that exists and gun violence that exists in our country and world. And just all of these issues, it's it's not like they're, they're in a bubble and unaware, right? And so how frustrating it is for youth to then enter their schools and the schools are not addressing these very issues that youth are seeing and facing and trying to make sense of outside of school. Um, And so schools should really be a space that help youth make sense of what's going on and try to help figure out solutions together um, so that we can make our communities safer, healthier, better places. Um, And so that was another thing that was sort of like inspirational for us is to hear how many youth are thinking about addressing social change and trying to improve the lives of their community members, their families, and um, that they want the tools to do that. And computer science can certainly be that tool. And and also we wrote the book, we were inspired by youth and wrote it for youth and their educators. But I also think it's an important, um, there's an important message in there for higher education, uh, for teacher, for teacher prep programs and for all the higher education, education world um, that are talking about, you know, what should be going on in education, how to contextualize learning. So it's engaging for a broader spectrum of, of, of students and um, how to support student agency and identity in these fields that have really been segregated. Uh, another question is obviously graphic novels. I've, I've read my share too. Often people associate them with kind of action stories or superheroes. I know that's certainly not the only kind of graphic novel, but um, the the obviously the plot or the material is is far more you know kind of in the 
the realm of classrooms and and talking about education and how do you um how has the how do you think that squares and has it has it worked for the for the students who are you seeing take up among students and teachers um and and are, you know is it engaging to the students that have seen it yeah we've heard a lot of positive um feedback um folks telling us about you know I bought this book for myself, but my 12 year old picked it up and wanted to read it and took it away from me (laughs) or like, you know, um, just a lot of, and a lot of interest, you know, within our families too, the youth in our families have been giving positive feedback. And of course that's probably because we're related to them, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's been really um, amazing to see the community come together around these issues, recognizing how important they are and um, getting excited about teaching the book in classrooms and in after school programs and out of school programs. And, um, and youth telling me, you know, like, I love this character because she looks like me, you know, I have dark skin and dark hair and I felt like I could connect with her. Um, I've heard that you know, other students who shared like, you know, this, this story kind of makes me feel seen. It reminds me of my experience. And um, so we were hoping for that, you know, and and it's, there, there's definitely, it's not a perfect piece, <laughs> no pieces. There's holes um, that, you know, can be poked um, through the story, but it was our best effort to kind of bring across this like energy of um, how can we, share all of this research and information, but still be somewhat dynamic and engaging and, and storytelling, you know? Um, and I think it helps to have, oh, sorry, just one more thing. I think it really helps to have a student advisory board who gave us input along the way. Um, you know, the very first draft I wrote was like a 10 page overview and they were like, wait, but what about the characters' real lives and what's going on? Like, who are they? Are they just like happy kids who go to school? I mean, that's so not true and not real. And, you know, that sounds boring, (laughs) you know, so really elevating um, that, that input and that feedback over time has been amazing. Yeah. I, I just wanted to add to that, that, that the student advisory board was just so important in terms of showing how they get into something that reflects them and, you know, they can identify with and about their lives. And um, right now we're on a, you know, the book came out in April and we're really leaning into the challenge of getting it um, distributed. Um, LAUSD, Los Angeles School District um, is going to be distributing it to their teachers um, and students, the New York um, Department of Education um, has a um, incredible advocate for CS education um, and um, Christy Crawford. And she is um, working with these teachers and, and using power on is the, the book, you know, to be talking about all these issues San Francisco Unified. Um, so we're trying to spread it in throughout districts um, and also after school programs um, and get it into the community. And then we want to do research um, next year. You know, it just came out in April. So we hope to um, 
be able to tell you after a year of research um, what kind of discussions it generates and how teachers are using it and, you know, students' responses. Well, it's great. I look forward to hearing how that goes. I really appreciate you two sharing this really unusual and interesting work and, and translating your research into a graphic novel. So thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank Thanks you so Jeff. much, Jeff. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week we bring you conversations just like this one. If you like the show, please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review. I see we've recently gotten a few more of those. I really, really appreciate those. Please take a minute. It, it does help tell the algorithms that people are out there listening. And you can also help us spread the word about the podcast by sharing it with a friend or on social media. And if you want to keep up with new episodes, sign up for our Ed Surge podcast newsletter. Just go to edsurge.com and look at the top right. There's the word newsletter to, to get started. And on a program note, we are going to be in person with an episode of the podcast at the ISTE Live Conference in New Orleans later this month. If you are at that event, we would love to see you in person, so come check us out. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young, and I'm on Twitter at J.R. Young. We will be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thank you for listening. <laughs>